You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. To me, Dobie Gillis was just a job. It was like the Bob Cummings show. I just took the Bob Cummings show because I was, you know, looking for a summer job and I didn't want to go to work for the Department of Water and Power. Hey, no, I, I had no idea. When I was doing Dobie, it was just a series, a job. Actor Dwayne Hickman. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. In the early 1960s, one of America's most popular teenagers was an actor who wasn't even a teenager at the time. Dwayne Hickman played the likable, clean-cut, girl-crazy title character in the TV series The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. My name's Dobie Gillis. After the series ended, Hickman appeared in several beach movies alongside figures like Frankie Avalon and Matt Funicello. And later, he became an executive, working at CBS on several major and iconic TV series. In 1994, Hickman wrote a memoir, and that's when I had the chance to meet him. So here now, from 1994, Dobie, I mean, Dwayne Hickman. Well, all my life, people have said, you're Dobie Gillis, you're Dobie Gillis, and they don't realize that long before the series, I had a life, and long since. Dobie Gillis was really only from 59 to 63, and then it was rerun for the next 35 years. So, you know, and before Dobie Gillis, I worked many years uh, in the Bob Cummings show, and before that, I was a child actor. So I've had quite a, quite a career that a lot of people don't realize. It is tough. I mean, in the past couple of years, in sitting in that very chair where you are, Bob Denver has sat there. Oh, yes. And my, my good buddy, Bob Denver. Buddy Ebsen has sat there. Uh-huh. Adam West has sat mm-hmm. there. I mean, you got you know Mickey Dolans has sat mm-hmm. there. you got all these very fine performers who, for better or worse, will forever be known as Jed Clampett, Gilligan. That's sort of the, the curse of television. You know, I, I fought that for many years, and then I began to realize, well, hey, you know, if people know you for that and they respect that and they like that, a lot of people say to me, I couldn't have made it through my adolescence without you as Dobie Gillis. So I think that's very nice. So it's, it's a nice thing to be known. I don't mind it anymore. I used to mind it. It used to bother me, but it doesn't today. And that's why we wrote this book, Joan and I, and we wanted to just tell about what my life was like. This is, this is a, a really a very entertaining book. This is, is it, was it as much fun to write as it is to read? Yes, it was. We wrote this book, Joan and I wrote this book, uh, sitting on our bed with yellow pads and pencils and pens. We don't have a computer. We don't have a word processor. We wrote it in longhand and had it typed and then edited the typing. And uh, between taking care of that and taking care of our two-year-old, we have a son, Albert Thomas, who will be two the 23rd of November. So all the time this book was being worked on, he was, you know, looking at Winnie the Pooh and Barney and all that. And we were juggling, you know, trips to the park and so forth with, <laughs> with our writing. So it won't be too long before you're into Power Rangers and that kind oh, of yes. thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it probably won't be too long after that that he'll be flipping around the dial on this 500-channel cable TV they've been promising us. And some channel yes. will be, still be running Dobie Gillis. And he says, Dad, Dad. Now, he doesn't realize that, that I have already have a son 30 years old, and this is my second time. So it's uh, fatherhood the second time around for me, and uh, it's, it's quite an experience. It, I, uh, I took time off from my directing. I was directing mm-hmm. and acting, and I took time off to be at home for his first two years and to be with Joan and to work on this book. 
but he'll never realize so much went before his appearance on this earth. I, I tend to, I, as I was reading this, I thought, well, maybe the, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe this is for him as well. I mean, so, so he knows who dad was. Well, and we dedicated it to Albert. And, and I don't know, it's been a great couple of years, really, working on the book and being at home and watching him grow. You know, that, that first year or two is really important in a child's life, and I've enjoyed it. You such a you strike me as such a low key kind of guy. I mean, not not one of these high strung actor types. Well, I, I, you're you're mistaken. No, I'm very high, <laughs> I'm very high strung. I'm just not an actor type. You know, I get really excited, and nervous, and upset, just like everybody else. I'm just not a big ego person. I'm not a big actor type. I'm just kind of a regular person that gets excited like everybody else. Yeah, well, you know, the most surprising part of your book is the, after you'd left the Dobie Gillis show, and you're, now mm-hmm. you're 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 into the executive side. And, well, yeah, and, and you've you've gone over to the <clears throat> other side. And how surprised everybody is that, at how you could become one of them. Well, I became a suit. I went to CBS and was in the program department. I went there in 1977 and worked there till 87 when I did the, uh, the, the reunion movie, Bring Me the Head of Dobie Gillis. And I handled various shows. I was assigned to shows. I helped develop shows. My favorite show while I was there was Designing Women. Mm-hmm. I loved that show. Linda Bloodworth Thomason, Harry Thomason, the show they created. I enjoyed In fact, they gave me my start as a director. The first film show, four-camera film show that I directed was uh, a Designing Women. Wow. Yeah, and you were also connected at some at one point with WKRP, were you? Not? Yes, that was one of my early assignments. One of my and, favorites, uh, Mash, and yes. uh, All in the Family, and Maud, and a whole bunch of shows. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I tell you, it's kind of corporate. It's really not what my heart is in. I, I'm, I'm really. I thought I could become a suit and be happy with it, but I really missed acting, and I, I wanted to get back to acting and writing. Joan and I have been writing together, writing scripts and so forth. And uh, I wanted to direct. So, really, the, the corporate world was not my, my thing, you know. And I discovered that. Sort of like trying to make Mickey, uh, Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays, uh, you know, a vice president for player oh, development. Uh, y- yes, you know? yes. It's same idea, same idea. You know, I, again, I started when I was six years old in 1940 in a picture called The Grapes of Wrath. And I was only uh, six years old. And uh, it's in my blood. I've been around performing, and I've been performing my whole life. And it, it's kind of hard to go and be a, a, a suit person. Yeah, but, but it seems to, I mean, everything seems to have worked out well. For well, it worked you. out fine. I learned a lot. I made a lot of friends, and it, it was a good experience. But I'm glad it's over. I'm glad I can travel around now with my book. I, I, I do gather that, that it is true that when you look back on things with enough years in between that you can indeed laugh at some things that at the time were far from funny. Yeah, well, it takes a long time, <laughs> it, it, sometimes forever. But there are experiences in this book that even I have trouble with. I mean, things that I did, like the time I did a play in Chicago yes, filling yes. in for Don Murray, <laughs> uh, a play called uh, Call Me By My Rightful Name at the Pheasant Run Playhouse in St. Charles, Illinois. I will never ever forget that. That is a nightmare and the whole experience is in the book. When I recorded my first uh, rock and roll record, School Dance, that was a nightmare. So there's, there's a lot of stuff in it that I'm very honest about. And we all have those, you know. Uh, and um, we write about it and it's kind of fun. But I suppose now I can sort of have more objectivity and sense of humor. I know I couldn't talk about it like I'm talking about it now 10, 15 years ago. 
But, you know, a lot of uh, books like this, incidents like that help us all to keep in mind, keep things in perspective that, you know, someday I can put this in my book. You know, <laughs> yes. someday. It'll go in the book and yeah. it'll be uh, okay then. The, the, this thing that, that seems, you know, so terrible and overwhelming and life-threatening right now, 10 or 15 or 20 years from now, I'll be on a book tour talking about it and having a good chuckle over mm-hmm. it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> you, well, we, we wanted to write a book like that. We wanted to write, I, 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 we didn't want to do a tell-all or a, you know, I, the kind of book, you know, who I slept with or didn't sleep with and all well, it's, that. It, it, it's not a tell-all nor a kiss-up. I mean, no. It's, it's, no, it, it's, it's just, a nice in-between. Well, thank you. That's kind of what we wanted. We want, Remember years ago, David Niven wrote some books, mm-hmm. and they were just charming, and, and they were self-effacing and all that. And, I, and we wanted to write something like that that was just kind of entertaining, you know, and yet not phony, not phony, just simple and direct and kind of humorous. Are you, after all these years, are you tired, though, of some of the questions? Because I know all, all the other actors that I've talked to who are f- known for one role, all the questions are always the same. You know, Bob Denver always gets the, well, how come you guys, c- c- guys couldn't build a, a boat of some kind to get off that island if the professor yeah, was so smart? Well, and, you, you can't. You, you can't get tired of them. I, I don't. I must say I don't. I'm used to them, and I, and I answer them honestly as best I can because people want to know, and that's why you write a book like this. People want to know about these people. Like, I love Buddy Ebsen. I think he's terrific. I've enjoyed him over the years. I thought he was terrific in The Hillbillies, uh, Barnaby Jones. In fact, Joan, my wife Joan Roberts, did a Barnaby Jones and got to know him. He's a lovely guy, and mm-hmm. I would read. I would buy his book and read it. Uh, Bob Denver, I can understand that. Bob's been a very good friend of mine for all these years. We've never had a harsh word, and we're the original <laughs> odd couple. I am the picky guy that likes to rehearse and nail it down and all that. And Bob is kind of loose and kind of avant-garde, you know. <laughs> no, he is. <laughs> and he travels, I don't know if you know this, but he travels with the Gilligan hat in his briefcase. Because so many people recognize him, and he puts on the hat, lets, lets him take a picture. He's a good sport. Yeah, well, he's uh, a good and, guy. He's yeah. a good guy, and he's an old friend. And like I say, we've never had a harsh word in a lot of years. After this short break, wait till you hear about the big-name actor who almost got the role of Dobie Gillis. Back to my 1994 interview with Dwayne Hickman. It's so much fun to read that people really are as nice as you hope they are when you watch their show. Well, we're also just people, you know. Uh, we're really not. We're just people that happen to get into a certain kind of business. Bob got to be Maynard, and when we tell about that in the book and how, how he got the part and all. And he's, he and I are just regular people that, that had this kind of a career. He got known as Maynard and Gilligan, and I got known as Dobie Gillis and uh, Barnaby Jones or somebody. You know, <laughs> Adam West was uh, Batman. But mm-hmm. the point is, we're just regular, and people forget that. And I think a book like ours kind of points out that we are just like everybody else. Do you have any conception at all back then that the episodes would live anywhere near half as long as they have? No, no, not, none at all, none at all. To me, Dobie Gillis was just a job. It was like the Bob Cummings show. I just took the Bob Cummings show because I was, you know, looking for a job, a summer job, and I didn't want to go to work for the Department of Water and Power. So I took the <laughs> Bob Cummings show, and I had no idea that my whole life would, would change and it would never be the same after that. You could that. be a utility executive today. Absolutely, and maybe better off. Who knows? <laughs> maybe it's a better job. <laughs> but... but uh, Hey, no, I, I had no idea. When I was doing Dobie, it was just a series, a job. 
who had any idea that a show like this would live and live and live and be rerun over the years and that it would have such fondness in the hearts of so many people. And Michael Landon wanted to be Dobie? Oh, yeah, very badly. It was a, it was a very coveted role at the time. Many people around town, it was all the young guys wanted to be Dobie Gillis. But, I mean, look what happened. He went on and did Bonanza, and he, he was a wonderful actor and a wonderful writer and director. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine if he had become Dobie, if you'd become Little Joe... I probably would have been Little Joe, yes. Yeah. And there's another thing. How would you like to go through life being known as Little Joe? So uh, it's just the way it is. You know, Haas. Haas Cartwright. Yes. You know. There are, must have been times, though, when it was difficult to be as straightforward as you knew you needed to be with a book like this. Yeah, and that's why poor Joan came into the picture because she, as she says, she knows more about me than she ever wanted to know about me in her whole life. And I'm sure she does. You know, I had to talk about ex-wives and ex-girlfriends and all the disappointments and frustrations. I tell you, when you write a book about yourself, uh, you really have to kind of look at your life and you see a lot of things that can be kind of tough, you know, it can be kind of difficult. And, and you've got to try to deal as honestly and openly with those things as you can. But uh, we tried to deal with it, and I, I wanted to deal with the glass half full rather than half empty. Rather than emphasize the negative, we wanted to emphasize the positive and see my career, my life, and so forth as, as all the good things that happen rather than just a big, long uh, rehearsal of all the bad things. You know, So it was sort of an intent uh, that we had to make it a positive, elevating book. It's a family book. It's not a book that's going to offend anyone. And, and I, I think that's important, too. We wanted that. It's a book that your kids could read, you know. Yeah, it's an entertaining If your book. kids can read. Well, yeah. yes, yes. The sad state of our education today. One yes. Never, no, never no we're not. You, you know, I, I could name other people because I read a lot. I read a lot of this kind of book. And some I'm so disappointed in. They, they preach. They either tell you things you don't want to know about them that's embarrassing about them and about other people. Or they preach about causes and issues and all that. And you really don't care. And you probably read those, too. And you really don't care about that. You just want the behind the scenes and the kind of the fun of the whole career that they may have had, you know. Does it kind of spoil it, though, when somebody comes along and says, you know, 20, 30 years later, says, hey, let's get everybody together and do a movie again? Well, uh, you mean like a Dobie Gillis movie. Yeah, uh, it's kind of... Because you really can't go back home again. You can't. You can't. And if we were going to do this again, and we did the movie in 1987, the Bring Me the Head movie of Dobie Gillis. Uh, I wasn't terribly thrilled with that movie. If we were going to do this again today, I would do a movie from the teen's point of view. I would make myself the parent and have a lesser role... Have a, be a 90s parent trying to deal with a teen that's a, a 90s teen, and I would be representing the 50s and 60s concepts with this teen. And I would focus on the teen, the Dobie Jr., Dobie Gillis Jr. I think that's the way I would do it. And then have like Bob Denver and Sheila James and all those people come in as, as kind of cameos and create a whole new kind of movie that I think would be better. I, I think it would be fresher. And that way we wouldn't be forced to kind of try to recreate something that was so special at the time. You don't live in Sheila's district, do you? Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. She's a good friend. She represents you now, Sacramento? Yes, 41st Assembly (laughs) District in Los Angeles. I voted for Sheila James Kuehl. She is our assembly person, and she will do a great job. I really think she's very bright, very talented. This is a strange universe where you could, where what, 30, 30 30-some years now you could Uh be represented in a state capital by... That's right. <laughs> by Zelda Gilroy. Propinquity. 
<laughs> we were thrust together in time by propinquity. I was Gillis and she was Gilroy. Could be worse. You could be represented by Warren Beatty, I suppose. <laughs> that would be a lot worse. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, now, see, I admire you for that, too. I mean, you know, it's, it's, we, we sometimes assume that everybody who works together must be close well, friends, no, good I, buddies, I, I, fast. I, I hardly ever got to know Warren. He, he, he always acted like it was his show. I mean, he, he's that kind of a guy. He has a very imposing presence. And I really didn't get to know him at all. She keeps making eyes at Milton Armitage. Milton Armitage, for Pete's sake. Why, why he's not a man, he's a, he's a tailor's dummy. And it's amazing because he has no recollection of ever having been in the show. <laughs> At least he didn't until just recently when the articles on the book started coming out and he, his spokesman said that he remembered and fondly uh, being in Dobie Gillis. But that's the first time he's remembered in maybe 30 or 40 years. so Obviously not a viewer of Nick at Night. No, no, no. <laughs> it's pretty hard to deny what's on old film. You know? Hey, honey, that guy looks like Warren Beatty. <laughs> see, that looks like Warren Beatty. You see all these old things with Robert Redford. I've seen old, you know, old clips. In fact, there's a show they're putting together now in L.A. that I signed a release for of how they got their start. And they've oh, yes. gone and gotten, and I don't know if they're going to be able to get Warren's permission to use a clip from Dobie. I said you can use mine because, you know, what do I care? But uh, they will go and they will find clips of all these people like Robert Redford and all that and put together a whole show, which entertains people. People enjoy that. Dwayne Hickman died this past January. He was 87. And you can find easy Amazon links to Dwayne Hickman's books at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with his Dobie Gillis co-star and eventual Gilligan star, Bob Denver. My wife gets that from some people once in a while. It breaks her up. They say, is he like that at home? Like Gilligan. She said, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, do you know anybody like that in your whole life? And my interview with one of Dwayne Hickman's beach movie contemporaries, Tab Hunter. The audiences were changing. They were more youth-oriented audiences then. They were ready for Tab Hunter. Well, not only for Tab Hunter, for <laughs> Natalie Wood, Jimmy <laughs> Dean, Tony Curtis. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the woman who has sold over 100 million copies of her books worldwide over the past 30 years, Mystery, crime fiction author, Patricia Cornwell. All of my plots are rooted usually in the commonplace and randomness. And that, of course, is what's so frightening because we'd rather think it's a, a Dean Koontz or Stephen King type monster out there who's very clever and supernatural. Uh, somehow that would make us feel a little more immune if we knew it wasn't as commonplace as the person who pumped gas for you. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.